once again, my friends, to the Global Gale podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor, coming to you from my little studio here in Stockholm in Sweden, where I'm in my 25th year of living. Now, not in the studio, lads. I haven't lived in the studio for 25 years, although sometimes it feels like it. But I have lived in Sweden for 25 years. And you are listening to the podcast for the 70-odd million people of Irish heritage around the globe. We started this podcast based on the premise that there's no such thing as an ordinary Irish person abroad. And let me tell you, week in, week out, lads, you keep proving me right. Now, this week's guest, I know I said that this week we were going to have Mark O'Sullivan from Cork, who is working at uh, the School of Sports Science in Oslo as the Associate Professor of Football. Fascinating character there. You will have heard him maybe on the Irish and Sweden podcast if you listen to that. Uh, an incredible character altogether. But I postponed that by a week, lads, because we're, we're trying to be in the news here a little bit, right? We had a sporting story that occurred over the weekend and I just couldn't let it go, right? Now, those of you who are smart and attractive and good company in that are already supporters of this podcast at patreon.com forward slash man in Stockholm. And I was listening to another podcast on Patreon last week when I came up with the idea of getting this guest to come on. I was listening to none other than the second captain's lads uh, at the end of one of their podcasts last week. And there was an email in from Gar Moss. And you might say, who's Gar Moss? Well, look at Gar Moss is the lad we're going to be talking to today because he mailed in to tell the lads, the second captains, that the first ever rugby international for Albania was taking place against Kosovo last Saturday. And not only that, but Gar Moss from Rahini in Dublin was the Albanian national team coach. And I went, okay, Marco Sullivan. I know he came down to see me, Mark, and I'm very, very grateful. And we'll hear from you next week. Absolutely, it's in the can for that. But I thought, Jesus, I have to get in touch with Gar. So I reached out to the lads there on second captains. And I'm one of these people, lads. I have I've no patience, right? I just, I go, okay, well, you know, if, if they haven't replied in five minutes, then I go looking for it somewhere else and that. So I mailed the boys anyway. And they were obviously in recording whatever Monday podcast they were doing and that. And eventually I dug up um, the Tirana Rugby Club and their website. And I contacted some fella there who was uh, who had done their website in Albania, chap. Terribly nice. He passed me on Gar's number. And I got in touch with him. So we booked the chat that you were about to hear. Uh, as I say, it's just I was just amazed by the journey that somebody would make to become the head coach for Albania. And of course, rugby is something that is close to all our hearts. If you listen to Alan Quinlan or watched Alan Quinlan uh, talking uh, to the, the Global Gale podcast before the World Cup, we have the Six Nations coming up. And I have to say, Gar's story is just amazing because, you know, Johnny Sexton and Brian O'Driscoll and Andy Farrell, that's all one thing, right? But there's so many Irish people out there all over the globe who love the game of rugby and what it gives to them and what it gives to their community. So, I'd have to get him on. So here he is, the wonderful Garrett Moss in Tirana in Albania, talking to me about how he came from Rahini, all the way from Rahini, uh, to being the coach of the Albanian national rugby team. I hope you enjoy it. Garmos, let us start with the sports news this week. Albania against Kosovo last weekend, the first international between the two countries. How did it go? Hey, Philip, thanks for having me on. It was a great game. It was absolutely brilliant overall. Uh, the result didn't go our way in the end, but the first half was absolutely outstanding. Um, the boys uh, put in a really good shift. Uh, it was two ties of two tries apiece at the very start. But in the second half, one of the things we spoke about was managing the kicking game using the backs more, using the forwards less because the boys had run too much in the first half and there was a lot of scrums of which we'd won most of them. 
or it'd be neutral or we'd neutralize their threat in most of them. And unfortunately, they're um they have an outstanding guy who plays nine. Now, he sometimes jumps in at 10, Krasnichi, who is a great footballer. He plays football in France. And we said if we're if we're if we're not using the kicking game, if we're not going to territory and we're giving away rooks because of tired forwards, he's gonna kick penalties all day long. Well, unfortunately, uh unfortunately, my Cassandra-like predictions uh, were also not heeded. And uh, they they did that. They kicked about six six penalties in the second half for rook infringement. So when the the result went against us, but it was you know I was Kosovo's fourth international game uh, in nine months, so they've had a huge amount of experience. It was our boys' first ever international game ever. We brought in uh, eight players who were based internationally, and these guys came from England. They came from France. They came from Italy, uh, even down in Sicilia, and. It was the first time they'd ever played together. We'd spoken a lot before. Uh, we'd had a read of game plans that I'd whipped up and all of that. We'd done as much sort of academic work as we could, but nothing, nothing beats boots on the ground. And yeah, in the in the end, it was great playing with these boys. Like the, the commitment they showed was absolutely outstanding, not just on the pitch, but off it, you know, like some boys finished work on a Friday. They jumped in an airplane. They got flying down to Tirana and landed at, you know, midnight on Friday drove up to a place called Kukus in the north of Albania, about two and a half hours, um, threw the ball around, got an early night, played the game the next day, and then got on an airplane back to England that night. You know, the, the dedicated the dedication some guys show was absolutely brilliant. Like, you can't fault that, you know? And, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. It was it was this, it was the inaugural Skunder Bay Cup. So, like, Skunder Bay is this uh, famous Albanian hero um, who... You know, he was the one who founded the country in its modern, one of its many modern guises, you know, about 800 years ago. So we have the cup named after him. So Kosovo, we're taking the Skunder Bay Cup, but we're going to try and take it back next time. So fantastic altogether. How does an Irishman end up being the first uh, national team coach as they play their first uh, international game against Kosovo? How did you end up there, Gary? You know, sometimes I ask myself that as well. Every country I've gone to, I've always asked myself, geez, what am I doing here? Um, I, I was in China for a good few years and Dubai a little bit as well. And we were there during the three years of COVID. And the way it worked was you couldn't really leave and get back in very easily. Like family visas wouldn't have been, um, how would you say, acknowledged. So they couldn't have come back in. So we sort of stayed there for a while. And then it got to the point where things were getting a little bit crazy in the final year in terms of lockdowns, in terms of uh, people being dragged off to camps if they tested positive. And we said, you know what, we're, 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 we're done here. The kid, grandkids haven't seen their grandparents. I sort of cold called a few schools in Albania, international schools, and I had a couple of bites and I ended up over here. And because my wife is actually, from, I chose Albania because my wife is from here originally. She left here in her teenage years um, with her parents, they were in the Beijing embassy. And then when they rotated out, she said, well, this place is a grand old place. So I'm going to stay here. So I met my Albanian wife in Beijing. And then we came over here and I knew the rugby boys before because I was always in contact with them. Every summer I'd come over. Anyone want to play a bit of rugby? Anyone want to watch a bit of rugby? Anyone go for a pint? Anyone want to go for some dinner? And so when I came over, I thought, you know, I'll help out with the cones or whatever. But I, I'd done a little bit of rugby coaching before. Um, so myself and my wife started the first ever Beijing uh, Aardvarks, one of the Beijing rugby teams, the Beijing Aardvarks women's rugby team. And I'd coached there and I'd coached the men's team a bit. So I thought I'll just help out. And 
one thing led to another. Then when we started getting um, the federation legalized, then we had the international um, team official and we were able to play official games. And then like the week of the game, World Rugby got in touch and said, here, we hear you are having a game. Do you want to make it official? Go on then, lads, why not? It was was outstanding. Yeah, so it was... I sort, I sort of fell into it, but you know, it's been, it's been, it's been great because along the way we've gotten huge support from both the, 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 the lads making the effort to try and build rugby in Tirana and in Albania, uh, both at the kids level, at the girls level, at the boys level. Um, but also world rugby did some training last summer with a lot of people from the Balkans, not just Albania, but also from, uh, Montenegro, from, uh, Macedonia, I think from Bulgaria, some guys drove about 16 hours just to get, to bar in Montenegro for a weekend of intense level two rugby coaching training. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I just sort of came over here for work and um, got, got into it that way. And I have to say, I'm absolutely loving it. I mean, I've always said to people, you need the third place. And this is something people talk about a lot in Ireland. You know, the, that Gaelic is the third place or football or rugby. And, you know, for me, like over here, having uh, just arrived a year ago, um, my third place is rugby. And it's great because it's not just work. It's not just family. It's something outside of that as well. Like you need those two things. Obviously, I think, you know, everyone needs work and needs family or at least some sort of home life. But having the um, the rugby outside has been a real, real great pleasure for me over here. And it's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. I mean, like, you know, some people have never seen a rugby ball before and we're tr- throwing them into training. Like we got one player who had an outstanding game, his very first ever game of rugby. And he was playing an international, like he's probably played more rugby than he's watched. Like he's got an international cap and I'm not even sure he's ever sat down and watched a full game of, of rugby. And we, he was, came, came in because he was a wrestler. He's a medal winning wrestler. He's outstanding. He still does the wrestling. He's got a brain on him for sport and he's got a body on him for hurting people. Like he wraps people up in pretzels and you know, with experience, this guy's going to go on and do great things. And we we, we have a contact with a French rugby team. We've got a, an official relationship with them. And they are, we're going to be sending over some players to be training with them. It's a French, either Pro D2 or Premier team. And they'll be going over to train and they might even be trying to poach a few lads. Who knows? So uh, <laughs> it's very, it's very interesting time. It's very interesting indeed. I'd say you'd be happy enough to allow your players to be poached and get that level of coaching and come into a different rugby culture. You mentioned there, you know, you have a a wrestler now. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like playing rugby against that fella, right? But where do you find your players? Is it basketball players? Is it footballers, wrestlers, judo athletes, you know? And how easy is it to put them together? Because you take a fella like that wrestler, right? I I know fellas here in Stockholm where I live who play games of rugby who don't even know the rules, Gary, that kind of thing, you know? Is that the kind of level we're at? Yeah, that, that is the level that we're at where there's a lot of um, stuff you might take for granted when you come into a culture. And, and this goes for any culture as well. When you come into a new culture, you have you suddenly realize, like, for example, if I say training starts at nine, that obviously means you get down at 845, you've got your boots on and we're on, you know, we're warming up at 855 and we're bang, we're into it at nine o'clock. Lads be coming down smoking cigarettes at nine o'clock and they're like, so when is training starting? <laughs> so there's, there's aspects of that. There's things like, no, the ball only goes backwards. I mean, rugby union is such a complex game at the best of times. Trying to understand the rules, even for experienced um, players is tricky. I mean, when you watch rugby, 
the, the referee is coaching the players. No hands out of the rook. No, you're off. Like, you don't see that in any other sport where the referee is coaching players how to actually play the game legally. So that that's a huge component of this as well. And You know, like, at that level, you, you train players differently. You don't train them for, this is a rook. Here's the technique, okay? You want to have your angle. Like, no, no, no. First of all, let's make it safe and let's make it fun. And we always try to start off training with something that's going to be a bit of crack. Um, you know, it could be a game of tag with the rugby ball. It could be a game of netball with the rugby ball. You know, something to get them moving, to get them warmed up, to get them laughing. Because if, if they're smiling, I'm happy. I really am because it's it's one thing to get players in. We've gotten lots of outstanding prospects in, but keeping them is another thing. You know, and it's it's challenging because there's no football pitches over here the way, for example, in Ireland there would be grass pitches everywhere. You look at St Anne's. You look at all these parks. You know, there's posts everywhere. There's not a single public park that has a public football pitch over here. So you're then having to, you know, sort of ask, uh, either pay for what are called calcetas, which are like AstroTurf, indoor AstroTurf. They're never the full size. And it's expensive. And it's hard to ask boys to play over here. Because again, in Ireland, team subs, you pay for your, you pay for your club. No, no, you don't do that over here. Like if we did that, we'd possibly lose a lot of players. Um, and so it's quite, again, the culture is different. We attract a lot of players through word of mouth, through Instagram, through social media. And that's a major, major thing. People are very obviously invested in their phones. And when they see something pop up, sometimes they go, that's interesting. And then they'll come along and maybe if they stick, they'll bring a mate. It's very word of mouth. It really is, you know, and that, that can be challenging as well. And if you try basic recruitment strategies, sometimes people aren't really into it. You try to do something bizarre as a recruitment strategy, people will think you're weird and that, that doesn't fly. It's quite conservative over here. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a huge challenge getting people in and keeping them in as well. Those are two different things. And yeah, you, you know, I think a great future path is, for example, we've got a wrestler. There's more wrestlers. He's still wrestling. He's doing better in his wrestling now with the rugby training because he's getting a lot of cardio and high intensity anaerobic based fitness. They're mutually beneficial. And so he's going to be turning around to his mates and saying, join in here. You might you might enjoy it. You know, we know they're not afraid of a bit of contact. So it's 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 tricky like that. And again, the population is, is quite small. People would have quite irregular work hours. So if you're saying, you know, we're training at this, we want like I would want training to be at seven. Nah, nah, nah that's not possible. So our, our Tuesday trainings are at nine to 10 p.m. on this like thing that's about as big as a tennis court. And then on Thursday, we, we, we've gotten a great favor from Tirana United. So we're able to train on their pitch. But that goes from 10 until midnight. I mean, Philip, I don't know about you, but like, I like to be in my bed at about nine o'clock. Like, seriously, I, I find, you know, and then they're saying to me, go, go at 10. So I finish at 12. But the training is so exciting and so invigorating that I can't get to sleep until about three in the morning. So then at three in the morning, I'm like, I should probably put down the old TV remote and go to bed, you know. So it's uh, you, you accommodate the culture that you're in, but you spoke about like values and things. We're also trying to change values, change attitudes as well. One of the games we had, like we had to take a player off because he was swearing at the ref. And then on the sideline, he was swearing at the ref. And then I had to send him to the changing room. So then he started swearing at me. <laughs> and afterwards, he was like, well, that's fine. I'm just, I'm showing passion. It's like, <laughs> that's one word for it but uh <laughs> there are also so, there are other ways to do it where you know the, you don't turn the ref against us as well you know absolutely absolutely and having um albanian internationally based players come over 
they were they were who play rugby week in week out against opposition from all different leagues uh, in as I said Britain France Italy they kind of show them the way by by showing them what to do you know like both sets of players Albanian based players are really talented they're really skillful like they're not big you might think oh Albanian guys must be very big that'd be just in James Bond movies where they'd be the bad guys they're not actually that big most of them will be in the realm of about five nine five ten but Every time I think about, may, oh, maybe I could play again. Maybe I could do a job on the pitch. I just hold a tackle bag. The, the power that they generate when they hit the bag and when they drive through it is, is second to none. I, and they play rugby league as well. Like they're, they're, They've played rugby league last October. I mean, I didn't say this before, but I'm also a rugby league coach. Last October, I was uh, the chief uh, cone placer at um, the, um, what do you call it? Um, the... Uh, in the in, in Netherlands when we were against Amsterdam in our first ever uh, rugby league game there and you can see it like it changes how they are as players because when they hit they just keep going they don't stop so yeah it's it's, uh, it's an interesting one <laughs> so what is your own background of the game Gary you mentioned there you know if, you, if you're where to play again where did you start playing who did you play for what level did you want to play at well I I come from the north side, and the north side obviously isn't a traditional strong rugby background. So, like, yeah, I never it's even for nobody else, really, isn't it? In Dublin, yeah, yeah. And I grew up in Rohini, so like, I, I up until the age of thirteen, I'd never heard the word rugby in my life. And then I went to Paul's, and I used to do sprinting um, and long distance running. And when I went to secondary school, they um, they're like, "Oh, you have to play rugby because you're a runner." I mean, you tell a snotty nosed teenager to do something. Oh, you have to do it. Guess what happens? They they do the opposite and they hate it. I got detention, I think, one time for refusing to go to um, one of the senior cup games. And that turned me off rugby until many years. And then I started watching the game as an adult. I was like, bloody hell, this is brilliant. And but I can't take it up. I'm far too old. I'm 23. I know that's far too old. I'll never. No, 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 no. I can't do that. So I started watching more and more. But I was playing Gaelic football. And then I moved up to Longford on a work secondment. And you know the way you can't change your parish because that's the most important thing in the world. God forbid you change parish. And so the expectation was go back up and down every weekend. So, ah, no way. So I joined with the Longford team for a few training sessions and then realized what made me bad at gap, running into people and clattering into them, was actually what made me good at rugby. And never played any other sport ever since, just played, played rugby. And I loved it. And in um, I then met, so I played it there. I, then I was playing in Suttonians for a while, junior three level. So I wasn't exactly worrying the likes of you know uh, you know Brian O'Driscoll, anyone like that. Uh, they were they were they weren't quaking in their boots. Let's put it. They, that they way. weren't looking over their shoulder and seeing you coming up on the outside. No, no, that that jersey was safe, like it was. And I, I was I was a back row forward in those days. Um, and then I moved to China and I was playing over there and I moved to the front row and I did all right over there because. We, before I left, um, I was playing at Hooker and we got to the semi-finals of the All China competition. So we got to the finals of the China competition. I got I got my meniscus torn and a concussion in the in the semi-finals, and I was out for the final with a knee the size of a watermelon. And um they, unfortunately they were lost in the final. The the standard of rugby in China is actually a lot higher than I, I ex- expected going over there. There was a lot of international competitions going on in Southeast Asia. So the level was was quite good. Uh, you would see occasionally some players who were who were half decent who thought, gosh, you know, back home he could be a, a pro. And even in Dubai, I played in Dubai as well. And 
for the Dubai Sharks. Outstanding rugby team, great bunch of lads. And again, playing playing it against actual professional players over there. I wasn't a pro. I was I was the I would have been more of a second division fella. But I had I got a bit of a promotion because the the tight head prop would was had his shoulder torn out. So all of a sudden I was playing against guys who were a little bit beyond my pay grade, and I was, which I loved. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. But I think the most beneficial thing for for me was I'm a bit of a student. I'm a bit of a nerd. I loved the rugby and all that, but I loved thinking about it and reading about it. And when I started doing the level one coaching, I was like, yeah, this is interesting. It's thinking a bit more about training. And then, you know, last summer doing the level two coach, I wish I did that 10 years ago. I wish I did that years ago because that was the single best thinking about rugby experience I've ever had. It helped me think about the game, treat the game in a better way, in a different way. Even in terms of giving feedback, in terms of communicating, I thought it was outstanding to the to the point where I would say to people, if you're interested in any sport and you want to play it and get better at it, start doing coaching, start doing coaching levels, start actually think about it as well, because it can help you transform your game immeasurably, immeasurably so. So, yeah, it, it's a bit of a it was a bit of a again, you know, how did I end up in rugby in spite of where I started? I sort of ended up there and um, yeah, circumlocutus journey from you know, from Longford to Dublin to Beijing to Dubai to Tirana. <laughs> I tell you, there, there is nobody can, 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 who can question your international merits in any case. You've done the mileage and you put them in there, Gar. You were speaking there about coaching and and understanding the game, being a nerd. This is one of those things that fascinates me. And I think and I talk a lot about it as well, right? Because often we have a game, you put a game on the TV, but if somebody was to say to you, an Albanian comes up to you in a bar and they've heard you on Instagram, they heard about this game, and they say to you, what is the game of rugby? What's the essence of the game for you? How do you explain it to people who have no background in it whatsoever? Yeah, it's a tricky one to say. Like, you know, it's like defining art. You know, I, I can tell you it's not football. I can tell you it's not, you know, basketball. I, I suppose I'd start off with talking about maybe the core value of rugby union with 15s, which is it's a game that there's a place for everybody on the pitch. And it doesn't matter if you're a you're a big fat lad, you're a tall skinny lad, you're a tall chunky lad, you're a small skinny lad, you're a small fat. Like there's always going to be a physical place for you on the pitch. Sure, like the the, t- the rugby that we watch on the TV, Leinster, Ireland, that's much less so. I, you know, you still see a bit of a belly in the front row, but these lads are athletes. They're highly trained, high intensity athletes that you know they can run all day, they can sprint all day. But at, at the lower levels, like everybody can play the game. And it's just okay. It's not a you know. It's not as that old saying. It's not a, how. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog, and, and really that's what the essence is. And it's a case of do, do you actually want to do that? And again, it, it goes against basic instinct. Like if I say, all right, go run. That guy's running at you. I want you to run at him. What? Yeah, get in his way. Put put your your sensitive sensitive body on the line and get in for his way and stop him from moving. You know, it, it goes against instinct in some ways. And that's why you see, for example, people doing a lot of grabbing if they're not very experienced in, in, in tackling. What is the game of rugby? It's a great way to meet people. You know, it's we've got a huge number of diaspora um, Albanians who've gone, it's just like Irish, have spread across the world. They're in every country you can imagine. You don't realize it, but they're there. They're not noisy like the Irish people might be. They're not setting up Albanian bars or coffee shops. They're most likely running your Turkish uh, kebab stores, your Greek uh, souvlaki stores. They're absolutely everywhere. And I say 
there's all, also, you know, on the downside as well, as we see it in the media, and it's not incorrect, they're also involved in, in the UK and some criminal activities. And one thing we acknowledge is that people will go abroad from Albania. We want to give them something, a community, that when they go abroad to UK, to Sweden, to Ireland, to anywhere in the world, that they can at least go online and go rugby. All right, there's the the Malmo Dragons. You know, I, I'm going to see him join up with them. And they all automatically have a community that they can join with. That's what I did in Beijing. I left Ireland in 2012, went online and Googled a few things. Beijing rugby, saw three teams and I saw one. And on their front website, it was like, this is our pub crawl. And it was like, that's my team. That's my tribe. <laughs> And like there was one other team who was like, look at all the trophies we win. This is how serious we are. No, that's not me. That's not me. I'm, I'm going over for a community for some brothers and sisters. And that's one, uh, one of the major things as well. It is a community. And like if I, if, if, if I moved over here and I didn't have rugby, you know, meeting people would have been a much more different prospect. It's not that rugby is for everyone, of course, but it certainly is one avenue that people can have that they can go and meet other people and embed in a new community. It's fantastic in that way. And I suppose all sport in a way, you know, if you can find a football team or a Gaelic football team or a rugby team abroad, as many listeners will know, it's absolutely, it's it's essential to my existence here. I wouldn't have a friend. I wouldn't have a job. I wouldn't have anything in Sweden if it wasn't for sport, you know. Uh, could I ask you a little bit about living in, do you, you live in Tirana in the capital of Albania? You do? Yeah, yeah, we're you living probably, over here. You're probably, no, I haven't looked at the stats for the podcast, right? But I can't think that I have too many listeners there. What's life like there, Gar? Because you mentioned you have a little bit of an advantage because your wife is from there and that. But how do you find life there if you compare it to Dublin or Beijing? Is it a cheap place to live, a safe place to live, a nice place to live? It's a very safe place to live. Like if my wife went out for a few pints, she'd walk home at one o'clock in the morning and she'd be grand. There wouldn't be a question, you know. It's it's, it's an unbelievably safe place to live. It's really safe. Um, the, the people over here are exceptionally kind. Like... My, when my parents came over for our wedding many years ago, they said it reminded the welcome they got reminded them of Ireland in the 70s and 80s, where people would, you know, they didn't have much to give, but whatever they had, they'd give it. You know, there was a welcome. They really rolled the carpet out. They go and almost embarrassingly above and beyond. And you're like, oh, please, God, no, don't be don't be going to that level of effort. It's grand, lads. Um, so you have that. As a city, Tehran is quite small. Uh, it's quite conservative in some ways as well. Like you're not going to be going to any crazy diverse sort of uh nightlife areas uh there's maybe one one there's two chinese restaurants there's like one thai slash indian restaurant so in terms of diversity it's not very rich in that way uh and that can be coming from beijing where whatever you want to get you can get that was kind of the thing it's like what do you want to get you can get that now or you can get that in an hour maybe in 24 hours if, it, if it's tricky where coming from that to this you know, you, you've lost that convenience. And that, and we spoke about that before we moved over here, myself and the wife. It was like, what are we going to miss? And we said, convenience, you know? Mm. But you accommodate that as well. Like we're, we said, like, anytime we need international food, we can actually cook it better than most of the places that we actually eat out of. So we've got, every time we go abroad, we'll buy tons of, uh, like, Indian spices, Chinese hot pot spices, uh, and a few other things, bits and bobs and Thai, thai curry mixes. And that that helps us out with that. The city, like I said, is quite small. I don't really go out too much in the city because we've got a twins, boy and a girl, uh, who are six going on seven. And so kind of Monday to Friday, they kind of take up all the energy. The one thing that I love most of all about here is 
is not the city itself. Like some cities have so much going on, London, Paris, Beijing, uh, you know, there's lots of galleries, there are lots of museums, all these things. That doesn't have the same extent over here. But it, my God, the nature. My God, the nature is absolutely outstanding. Like the country is 70% mountains. Um, it's so untampered uh, with. Like to the point where you're like, you see something online, if you can find it online and you would go and drive there, you might not find the place. Like I have to, I what I now have is my little spreadsheet. Like I said, I'm a nerd and I will make a list of places. And the first thing I'll go is verified or unverified, meaning have I actually gotten to the place? Like, can I actually get there? Can I find there? Is Google Maps accurate? And, and to show like how unsort of touched the nature is, uh, it might not even have a name, but I'll just look on Google Maps at things that look interesting. You know, oh, there's some water. That might be a nice place to go to bring the kids. So every weekend, we'll try to get out to go to these natural places, to these mountains, which living in Beijing, you know, a city of 20 to 25 million people, you don't ha didn't have that as much. And getting out into the nature, nature was always like very well sculpted, very beautiful, but lots of shops everywhere. So, you know, if people are going to come over, I would say you've got about a good three days in Tirana where you can go in, have a coffee shop. Whenever I go to the mountains, and like I said, I'm always going there. The only other people there I'll see would be foreign, foreign people like myself who aren't from here. People in Albania will go to the mountains to have a coffee. They will go to a lake to have a, a meal. They love to go for a lovely, long, lang languorous, luxurious, lazy meal for a couple of hours. Whereas I'd be like, right, we'll go and have a coffee, then let's go for a three-hour hike. Any any of my friends from over here are like, but why? You've worked all week. Why would you continue to work more? So it, it would be a lot more uh, sedentary in terms of people's approaches to leisure time. Whereas, you know, being in Ireland back in Christmas, walking around St. Anne's Park, you know, my wife was still amazed that on Christmas Day, people were, first of all, wearing shorts in the winter. And second of all, all running and walking and, you know, the, the sheer number of people walking around kind of reinforced to her the difference culturally between what we do to relax. So, yeah, like the, the city, the people are, is, is a very slow paced, very calm, not very diverse, big conservative, the nature unta un untouched, absolutely spectacular, just Oh, so beautiful, absolutely beautiful, you know. The the food here, though, is absolutely brilliant. They love their meat. They absolutely love their meat. Like, even their salads taste better. And there's a thing they always talk about is it's bio. Bio, like, doesn't have a real direct translation, but roughly, I think it means, like, organic, local, sustainable, you know, all this sort of stuff. Like, it, 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 but they've used, the, people over here would use it to cover everything. But the, the meat is absolutely outstanding because, again, they don't have a lot of industrial farming over here. It's still very rustic in that way. Tirana is a modern city, but once you get outside of the countryside, you're just going to see, you're just going to see, like you'll see donkeys on the street. You'll see people with like beasts of burden. Uh, even on the highway, if you drive from the airport, you're guaranteed to see cows grazing on the side of the road. So there's a weird... Um, uh, gap between the city and the countryside. And you'll see that as well. You'll see Maseratis and high expensive vehicles over here. And then you'll see, like I said, literally a person on a donkey. Uh, maybe not in the city, but certainly like about half an hour outside of the city. 
it is an amazing contrast that you still see in places in Eastern Europe. Gerhard, does that mean that there's a sort of a financial sacrifice? Because if you went back to Beijing or if you went back to Dublin or London or any of the cities that we might have mentioned here, you're probably going to earn more money. So do you still earn international money because of the fact that, you know, you have to look after your pensions, that kind of thing, or do you have to accept whatever the local going rate is there? So that that's it. That's a great point because it, it comes down to... Okay, so when people go to Dubai, for example, they see the words tax-free and they see this lovely-looking salary. They go, gee, look at that. Got to be cashing it in. The cost of living in Dubai crippled me, absolutely crippled me, because when we went over, I was just working. And the week before we went over, the wife discovered she was pregnant. The week after we, we got over, she discovered it was twins. Um, and that wasn't cheap. And so living over there was an absolutely financially crippling experience. Um so although he would, I'm not on a local salary or would be on an international teacher salary, which is usually going to be much low, much higher than a local salary. Um, you would get some benefits like uh, rent allowance, things like that. Um, you would obviously get things like, you know, you'll get flights home and health insurance and things. So the cost of living being a lot lower than Dublin means that although you might look at my, my base salary and go, bloody hell, he's not earning much. It's actually still a lot more than I would be saving if I was living over there. Now, the problem that you also identified is as an expat living outside the EU zone, uh, as a pension, you've really got to take care of yourself. And you, I've seen a lot of people living and working in China having outlandish salaries. Like I, I can, I can guarantee I'll probably double or triple my salary if I move to China. But these people, maybe when you're over there, you also spend like that as well. And sometimes people wouldn't actually save. I started at two savings funds uh, when my kids were born in 2017. One was a long-term one that'll mature much later. And one was more of a short-term accessible one that is actually doing better than the long-term one. So, uh, which, but again, you have to be sort of um, canny with these sorts of things. You've got to take care of it because there's a, a colleague I work with who he worked in Botswana for many, many years. And he didn't really have anything saved up from it. So he had all this great experience, this wonderful time. And then when his kids had to go to college, when he hit, you know, retirement age, all of a sudden, you know, he's working just to pay his, his food bills. So you've got to be so cautious with that. So although you might look at it, go, oh, you're earning more than the locals. That's so unfair. You've basically got to take care of two households. You've got to take care of your, your, own, your own living expenses for here. And then you've got to take care of, I, I'm sending like four like Flynn over here. And let me tell you, let me tell you, you try to manage that. Two, three houses now. Two, three houses. Yeah, I'm hearing myself now. God, I should smack myself. But it, you do have to, you know, take care of the where you're living and then take care of the future where you might be living. And, you know, we, myself and the wife discussed this extensively. What, why do we stay here? We, we love it here. Like, we really do love it here. There's times where I absolutely hate it here genuinely like you know drivers over here they'll probably be the reason i leave in the end roads are tiny and narrow people just abandon their cars in the middle of them um things like that but and then there's times where you just tolerate it you know there's times where you just tolerate where you live because you know when you're an international teacher traveling all over the world or whatever sometimes you have an expectation that you should love where you live that you should be absolutely enamored with it and it's like no there's nowhere like that there's no there's no place where manna is you know from heaven on the floor everywhere there's always going to be times you don't like it the rugby i'm not going to lie the rugby is the main reason i'm staying here um if we didn't have the rugby we obviously have family here we have family in ireland but the problem is there's no direct flights from Toronto to dublin so it's still kind of far to travel back you know like uh, last christmas not this christmas the one before 
a flight for like 500 quid a person to fly, you know, via Frankfurt. I thought that's a bit steep. Ended up find, finding um, flights with a cheap carrier from Sofia to Dublin. So we drove 12 hours to Sofia, spent a few nights in Sofia, got to discover uh, this beautiful city there, and then flew over to Dublin for like 100 quid a person. So, you know, we, um, we kind of managed it that way. And, you know, but like I said, you know, that's if you're living in China, for example, and you're living in Beijing, there's direct summer flights from Beijing to Dublin. There you go. There's a 10 hour flight instead of a, instead of which is about the same as traveling from Tirana, you know, with uh, with the indirect and the stopover and all that. So, yeah, the, there's a big financial difference. The cost of difference is much lower than in Dublin. Like I I don't think we could survive in Dublin. The wife is working and finishing up her degree at the moment. And once she gets to do that, then we'll be in a new, another position looking at the future, looking at where to go, thinking about not just the short term, but also long term, you know, pensions, as you mentioned, things like that. So, yeah, there's there's so many factors to be taken into account. And that can be so challenging when you're living, in, in especially outside of the EU, where either you don't have a pension, uh, a state pension, or where your state pension could be you know, 70 quid a month or something like that. So <laughs> You won't be going very far with that in Raheen, you know, in a few years' time. You, know? <laughs> you wouldn't even get <laughs> lunch down the yacht or whatever. But that's about it. Like. <laughs> That'll be it. Um, how much, you mentioned it uh, briefly there, how much of uh, a factor is rugby going to be now? Because you are now the coach of the Albanian national rugby team. And I'm not saying that Andy Farrell is looking over his shoulder. Yes, but Jesus, you know, you're you're in the mix there. You know, Do, Is this something, Gareth, that you really want to develop? Would you you like to stay with Albania or does it as long as you're involved in rugby somewhere you'll be happy happy there's so many factors involved because it's not just about myself it's you know I I won't be I don't think I'll be wearing Andy Farrell yet I, I'm an amateur coach I mean I was an amateur player and it's very difficult for an amateur to coach professionals you do get people who have done it like Jack Nina Bear for example he started out as a physio and he's coaching Leinster but those guys are the exceptions rather than the rule in the same way that a professional coach can't really coach amateurs. You know, you look at some of the soccer players who are failing miserably uh, in England after having been coaches like Frank Lampard, Wayne Rooney, uh, Stephen Gerrard. They, they're coaching players of a lower standard to them. Now imagine they're coaching like a Sunday pub team. You know, it's going to be difficult for that. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be looking at uh, worrying the Premier Premier uh, League uh, of, of rugby just yet. I wouldn't be worried about the UR. The URC won't be worrying too much about me yet but I do enjoy it I really do enjoy it I really enjoy how it works it takes a lot of time out of um, the day so what I normally do is try to work on it late at night uh, any homework that needs to be done any 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 nerd analysis that needs to be done I'll try to do that after the Thursday training session so Thursday midnight to three in the morning is normally when that work gets done I just suck up the three hours of sleep that night and try to you know make it up over the Friday night um I want to stay here for a while because it's we just got the federation legalized, which is a huge thing over here. Nothing happens over here without political uh, backing, to be honest with you. Um, and it's so important that we we got that. We're going to be moving into rugby sevens as well because the rules of rugby union fifteens versus rugby sevens is obviously two two completely almost different games and so much more simplistic for sevens. As I said, the guys over here smash very hard, but they're really athletic. They're very athletic, and sevens would suit the boys. Sevens and league suits them down to the ground. Um, and the head coach for rugby league, Arvian Poposhi, he's an Albanian uh, national who's now based in England. He is, he's got a highly talented son, Elliot, who is um, he's just after finishing the St. Helens Academy. He's now training with the Bradford Bulls. 
the rugby league guys are doing absolutely brilliant. There's a huge crossover. Our boys don't care about rugby union or rugby league titles. They just like playing rugby. They just like going out there, giving a good account of themselves and playing. And when we start pivoting, we're going to hopefully have a sevens competition at the end of February. Um, this will be a sort of a small sort of thing now, just with Balkan countries, just getting a run out, getting sevens practice, getting the new newly trained referees experience. We'll start to see how things develop from there because for rugby union, uh, the we obviously have the Olympics with the sevens and the sevens uh, means we can get access to Olympic funding. And that's the lifeblood, you know, like so many boys put their hands in their pockets to play for the country. And whereas in some cases we might look at that, go, yeah, of course, I'd do anything to play for my country and stand for the anthem and wear the jersey. But it, people over here wouldn't be as as wealthy and have as much um, uh, free cash to throw around to, you know, do this. Everything that happens needs political backing and needs the money and the support. And the guys have done outstandingly well to get, you know, political backing, to to get uh, sponsorship. And we're just going to kick on from there. And the, and the Olympic Sevens is the way that we can look at that. Whether or not now we actually get to go to the Olympics, I don't think we'll be in Tokyo anytime soon. But it's really about getting on the Olympic circuit, playing around different places. Uh, you know, there's one in Stockholm. I had a look. There's a Sevens competition that happens up there. Um, there's competitions all over. There's different tiers. Just even getting involved would be great. Raising the profile of the game, getting kids involved because we're doing a lot of kids touch rugby um, training as well. And we had a we had the kids under 16s uh, Albania versus Kosovo at halftime in our game last weekend, and it was brilliant for the kids. Obviously, I was busy at halftime, but I got to watch it afterwards, and it was brilliant seeing them and having the great time, and but also seeing like how they really cared about it, how it really made a difference. And so, yeah, it's just nice to be part. It's just nice to be part of that. And you know, wherever the journey takes me, like, I'll, it rugby will be a factor in it. Like, if if I was to be, you know, offered an outstanding job in Arusha, Tanzania, and I'm picking that place because I remember looking at it years ago in 2015, going, God, they don't have much rugby there. I don't think I want to go there. That would be a factor. You know, that would be a major factor if a place didn't have rugby. I think I'd be, I'd be, I'd be there'd be questions whether or not I could actually go there. Well, yeah, um, you might be even more inclined to go now, having started up everything in Albania there and been the first national team coach. Surely you're exactly the man that you want to place with no rugby. Possibly as well. Yeah, you never know. That could be it. Like, because we, 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 I've said, I suppose you're right. Yeah, I have. I've said, we set up the team in Beijing, the the the, the Beijing Aardvarks women's team. We're trying to set up a women's team over here, which is proving a bit more difficult. We've had the kids, not just me now. I mean, gosh, there's so many people doing so much more. I kind of just focus really on on the training with the lads and everything like that. But yeah, maybe maybe it, it might be it might be a good idea as well to go to a place where there there is nothing to start something. But it would be a factor. But you know yourself, like it's like what also works with for the wife, what we think would work for the kids as an area to live. You know, these are these are questions myself and the wife. Every now and again, six months, we'll sit down with a pen and paper and we sort of discuss, all right, where are we now? Where do we want to go in the future? What's going on? What do we want to change? And you know, it works out really well that we can discuss these things from the different perspectives. And rugby is a perspective. It really is. <laughs> it really is an important one for me. Like, you know, but the kids have been throwing rugby balls around since they were one and a half years old. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're not really interested in playing too much, but they still like throwing it around, you know, like I would love for them to get involved with it. The, the boy, God bless him. He's like me at soccer. He's absolutely rubbish. <laughs> but he's great at running into people, but he plays. So I'm, I'm already, I'm lining him up to be possibly a second row or even a, even a seven, you know? 
It's been, everything comes back to rugby in the end. There, it's been a tremendous journey so far, and we're absolutely delighted that you brought us along with it on the Global Gale podcast. And do keep in touch because if you ever come up to Stockholm at that sevens tournament, I'll be on the other sideline watching how the progress goes. But for now, thanks very much for joining us on the Global Gale, Gar. Brilliant. Thanks for being for that, Philip. Nice to talk to you. There you go. That was the wonderful Gar Moss there talking about the first international match for Albania against Kosovo. And as I said, the joy that sport brings to people is just amazing. I know, as I said to Gar there during the, the, the interview, that uh, you know it's something that without it I wouldn't have had anything whatsoever, especially now that I live abroad, and it's amazing. And again, as I say, next week we will have another sporting team as we're talking to Marco Sullivan. Mark's an entirely different kettle of fish, academic from County Cork, with an amazing palette of things that he's done. He was a great soccer player in his day, but now studying how we acquire skills and that kind of thing and it's it's going to be interesting actually to listen to what uh, Gar just said there and what Mark is saying next week because you know they talk about transferable skills and how you go about coaching and setting up game plans and that kind of thing and it's fascinating for anybody who has an interest in any of those things or in thinking in general lads because Jesus knows it can be hard enough at the best of times if you look at our media you'll see what I mean there there's an awful lot of people could do with engaging their brain before they engage their gob Jeez, maybe I'm one of them myself listen I let you go for this week right uh, it's been a sort of a quiet week on the, the social media front of that we've had uh, a bit of fun and games with the teams here uh, with the team here and there's uh, people off and there's people traveling doing all sorts of things so you'll be seeing more from us and you'll be hearing more from us about our upcoming event uh, in london where we're hoping to do a live show in the first week of march but we'll push all that out until next week and we have marco sullivan on the show and that uh, if you can please do support the show patreon.com forward slash ironman in stockholm if you can't that's grand right if you could pay a five a month there brilliant if you can't do that that's fine right but please if you know of another rugby lover if you know of another person who might know gar from school or another Rahini person or anybody else who went to St. Paul's share the podcast with them lads and say oh I heard this from the Global Gale podcast they do have interesting people on there every now and again so if you can help me spread the spread the word and share the podcast around the place sure that would be only brilliant altogether I shall leave you alone for this week uh, back again next week with Mac and God only knows who we'll have after after that again if you're up to Anton or Anton's happening wherever you are in the world doesn't matter if it's in South America or in Sydney or in, in Toronto or wherever you happen to be do get in touch let me know if you're up to anything if you need help with anything, if uh, if you're looking for advice from state agencies, because I always have an excuse to go to them and find out what they're up to and that kind of thing. So anything you have, just get in touch with me on social media and I will bring it to you and I'll bring it to all the listeners of the podcast around the world. Listen, I'll be back next week. Until then, look after yourselves, look after one another, and I'll be back again very soon with another episode of the Global Gale podcast. Good luck. <laughs>